Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. I hope you had a great and relaxing holiday weekend. I love Labor Day. I've gotten to love it more. Um, I think because there's no agenda, you know? You, it's literally, you're supposed to just chill. Maybe do a little yard work. I pulled some weeds, um, get some stuff done around the house, relax a little, spend a little time with family and friends. I kind of did it all, but I didn't feel like I was traveling anywhere or that I had some big like meal to cook. So I'm becoming a bigger fan of Labor Day, except it means that the colder weather and darker weather, and I don't like the days getting shorter and um, I'm becoming less of a fan of cold. But anyway... I, I do like the three-day weekend right there. So I hope you had a great weekend uh, yourself. Uh, obviously, this is the official kickoff to the political season. It's getting earlier and earlier every year, uh, but there's a lot of interesting things that happen over the weekend, and I want to touch base on some of them. Uh, one that really grabbed me was this exchange that Tony Fauci had, um, and I'm going to touch on this in a minute. It, it literally took word salad from Kamala Harris and said, let me take it to a new level. Uh, we'll talk about that. Then there's a brand new memo out from uh, one of the top Democratic political strategists, Doug Sosnick. Um, I want to show you what he says, because he says there's 10 new rules of politics. And guess what? I agree with him. And I think that it's important to understand what he's saying, because it also has to do with how politics is covered. Um, and we have a great conversation here coming away with Congressman Jim Banks. Uh, he is a champion of conservative principles and policies, a huge supporter of President Trump. He is running for the Senate in Indiana to take the place of Senator Mike Braun. A lot to get to today. Let's get into it. All right. Hopefully, during this long weekend, you had a chance to do all of the downloading and the subscribing that I've asked for. But in self-seriousness, uh, there's two big things you can do right now. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on the first, Channel 347, thank you. Really appreciate that. Uh, love being on the first. But you never know. We're a mobile society. You're down at the pool. You're out walking the dog. You're in the car. You go work out. So you want to make sure that you can watch the Sean Spicer Show anywhere. Plus, as I've said before, it's super helpful for us, especially if you go to Apple uh, Podcasts and just hit the subscribe and notify button. Uh, it it really helps us grow the show and move up the charts and get some additional attention. And then obviously YouTube and uh, Rumble as well. Just subscribe. That adds. Uh, so please, please do that. I really appreciate your support. And it's important uh, to the sponsors as well. Obviously, if you're watching it in these places, you know we're free, right? This is the greatest deal in the world in the Biden economy. Uh, so the only thing we ask in return is uh, subscribe to us and maybe uh, take a look at some of these sponsors that we have because they're great. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into some of the interesting developments over the weekend. This exchange that Anthony Fauci had um, with Michael Smirkanish on CNN, literally, I couldn't believe it. Um, I was actually, you know, kind of like I say sometimes on CNN, I'm glad they brought it up. But the way that they let him get away with this, he gets asked about the efficacy of mask wearing, because right now there's this whole new, oh, COVID might be on the rise. We might have to go back to all these mask protocols. I'll show it to you. And then I want to discuss it because as I said at the opening, I, I mean, I literally think he called. It was like, Kamala, can I borrow a word salad? Because I got to make one up on TV. And this is what he said. Take a look. Uh, Brett Stevens in The Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference, he told the journalist Mayanne Damasi, full stop. But wait, hold on, what about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality? Surgical or cloth masks makes no difference, none of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. But when you talk about as an individual basis of someone protecting themselves or protecting themselves from spreading it to others, there's no doubt that there are many studies that show that there is an advantage. Whoa. Like it was I, I don't know where the bouncing ball is anymore. There are individual studies that do the individual. There's the efficacy of the mass. There's many other studies. The part of this before that got played was him saying it's, it's you know, not debatable. And then he puts the study up and says, well, the most comprehensive study says that it's not true. Oh, well, that study. Not, I mean, I'm talking about the smaller, less important studies say something completely different. You know, Fauci loves to talk because he's so used to no one challenging him. And here's Michael Smirkanish. Kind of going where, I mean, I'm sure at the end of CNN, folks were like, you weren't supposed to do that to Lord Fauci. But the idea of this study is saying, this is the most comprehensive. It shows that, and by the way, the, the other part of it says, what about the N95? Nope, nothing there either. These guys are so bought into it. They can't possibly know that they were wrong. They can't possibly, they tell us to follow the science until the science differs with their talking points. It's crazy, but you, you can't decipher anything that he just said. It was absolutely crazy. Um, I, I just, I think this is something, he gets away with all of this. No one ever questions him. And of course they moved on, right? But he's talking about like on an individual level versus a macro level. No, no, no. Masks either work or they don't. They don't take a mask and put it on 18 people and go, God, is it working on all of you at once? You put a mask on yourself. So it either works on an individual level or it doesn't. 
And Fauci's just trying to twist a bunch of words to get away with maintaining the talking point that he has. But this, this is what they've always told us. Follow the science and the studies. Well, here's the most comprehensive studies. And by the way, aside from this op-ed piece that Brett Stevens put out, did you see any news coverage of this? No. Do you want NBC and all these places that told us how wrong it was not to wear a mask and how important they were to suddenly realize, wow, there's a study that contradicts them? Because, oh, by the way, it's not just the past, it's the future. It's what they're going to do again this fall and winter. As it gets cold, they're going to tell us we got to mask up again. And the science is sound, except for the time that it's not. So it's just fascinating to me that no matter what gets said, no matter what study comes out to refute them, it doesn't matter. Um, speaking of science, there was another tragedy that occurred that the media played from one angle, and I, I couldn't help but think another one. There was this um, pregnant black woman who was shot and killed by a white cop in Ohio. She was in this parking space. They were confronting her for something that had happened, and she basically is going to run him over, and he shoots her. Now, I'm going to put that aside, and I'm not, because I, I don't have all the facts on that. There's no question that she was trying to run him over. Was it appropriate force or not? I, I'm not in a position to, to judge it because I don't know enough. What I do know is how the media covered it. They all talked about this woman and her unborn baby which I agree with. But do you notice how the media talks about unborn babies and a second life being killed when it's from a perspective that they want to cover, right? So in this case, bad cop shoots black woman. That's obviously not something that they want to, uh, that, that's an angle that they love. They want to play this up about how America is racist and bad. And again, I'm not getting into the merits. I don't know any, I, I saw the video quickly but I was more interested in how they played this up from a life standpoint. An unborn baby, that's what, okay, I agree with them. But it's interesting because when the abortion debate comes up, it's never an unborn baby that's about to be killed. It's not about their rights. You notice this? When the same story, insert who the victims are and the media changes the narrative. You've killed an unborn baby if you're a cop shooting a black woman. You've taken a woman's right to choose her way if it's the other way. You notice that? The life isn't the same. The life matters when it fits the narrative that the media wants to push. The life is a choice. It's downplayed. It's a bunch of cells and molecules when they want to talk about a woman's right to choose and Republicans going after women. You notice that, huh? It's very interesting how the same set of facts change depending on what narrative they wanna push on you. But these are the subtleties that I can't help but pick up sometimes because it's amazing. And I'm watching these folks at NBC News do backflips. They'll go from one story to another and changing it because again, it depends on what they wanna push. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I mentioned Fauci. He was on the shows spouting off about inconsistencies in his profile max. But then um, Chuck Todd had Governor... Sununu on from New Hampshire. I mean, this is the go-to, right? Every Sunday, they have these folks on that are anti-Trump. Notice there's never a round table on any of them with anyone who supports Trump. This is always the case on Meet the Press. It's always the case on This Week. But they have Sununu on. They have Larry Hogan on, the former governor of Maryland. The thing about Sununu is he keeps talking about how Donald Trump can't do this, Donald Trump can't win. And yet there's a new Wall Street Journal poll that comes out over the weekend showing Trump's lead up 11 points. It's grown 11 points despite the barrage of negative attacks on a daily basis by the media. And he's up over Biden. And yet the the narrative from people like Chuck Todd is, well, what are we doing to stop him? And Sununu can't help. I mean, he's like, well, what we're going to do, I mean, at some point, maybe it's you guys that don't get it. I mean, I'm just telling you what the facts are. They can't, two things can't be true at the same time. His lead can't be growing well over 50% and beating Joe Biden. But the one thing I will say that was interesting is Chuck, of course, and we talked about this. I told you this is going to happen. But like, a, whatever, like a week ago, we started talking about the 14th Amendment with Alan Dershowitz. Part three of the amendment talks about people who have been part of an insurrection not being eligible to run again. And it's catching fire. So Chuck asks Sununu. And Sununu says to him, you know, hey, I don't see a way that Donald Trump's taken off the ballot unless he was taken off nationwide. I actually think that's true. So if you get a legal opinion from one secretary of state, I don't see how a lot of them don't. But there would, I mean, this country would just go nuts. Um, but I, I, I'm telling you, part of the reason we do this show is to make sure they're the smartest people in the room. And guess what? We talk about it with Dershowitz. We talk about what's going to happen, how it's going to play out. And, you know, seven days later, these guys in the mainstream media are Politico has a whole piece in it now. Everybody's catching on. We're ahead of the curve for you. Um, speaking of being ahead of the curve, Doug Sosnick, who is a Democratic political operative, uh, put out a new memo. He puts these out from time to time. And he has 10 new rules. And I thought I'd share them with you because I actually agree with them. They're not partisan, but there's several on this list that I thought were important to share um, because I, I think it, it has to do with how elections are covered more than anything else, making sure we understand them. Because I've told you before, and, and if we go down his list, I want to start with number three. It says national polling is not an accurate predictor of presidential outcomes. I've been saying this for a long time. And the, it, is, it is so true um, because we're not, and this goes into point four. So point four says there are only a handful of states that determine control of power in the U.S. Boom. What have I said? Eight states. Doug Sosek says eight states. So here's where the election is going to be decided. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada. New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. That's it. And those might not even be entirely it. I mean, one or two may go one way or the other as we get closer to the general election. 
If you don't live in one of those eight states, you know, I live in Virginia. I mean, I, I always hold out hope. I was the last Republican elector to cast a vote for a Republican in 2004. Did you know that? Little fun fact. I might not have been the last because Virginia has, like I was from the eighth congressional district, so I don't remember where I voted. But the point is I was among the last in Virginia to cast an electoral vote. I still think we can win it. Glenn Youngkin and uh, Winsome Sears, Jason Mieres showed that we can, we can do this. But right now, at least it's not on that list. So what does this mean? Because this gets back to national polling. When they do a national poll, they're taking in all 50 states. Well, who cares? I mean, if you live in Hawaii or California or Massachusetts or Rhode Island, the state's going Democrat. So who cares? Same thing on the Republican side, Ohio, Florida, Texas, Montana, South Dakota. If you live there, you're voting, like, the state's going to go Republican. The electoral votes are going that way. So when you do a national poll, it doesn't matter. You want to focus on those eight states. So when you're talking about where things stand presidentially, who's going to win or lose, those are the states, those are the state polls. Now, they will start to do battleground polls. And as long as they're focused on those eight states, it's worth looking at. But if it's not in those eight states, who cares? Who cares? I mean, it's like telling me that somebody scored in preseason. It doesn't matter. So I just, I, I want you to be aware, but this is the reason, again, that it matters is because you're going to hear about how Donald Trump is up on this or Donald Trump is down or Joe Biden. Who cares? It's good to know. Do they serve a purpose? Yes, they show trends. So is someone growing? Like I mentioned that Wall Street Journal poll. Um, it's national, so it doesn't matter in terms of the primary either. But it shows that he went up 11 points. Well, that clearly shows that momentum is in his favor. Now, would I rather be looking at an Iowa poll or a New Hampshire poll? Absolutely, in terms of the primary. And in the general election, it's got to be in those eight states. Um, one of the other things that, that Sosnick talks about is how important abortion is going to be. And I agree with him on this as well. Republicans have got to learn to talk about this better. This idea of being on defense, everyone's like worried about the, the number of weak ban we have. Are you kidding me? In Virginia, the House and the Senate are up in Virginia. And they keep talking about embracing a 15-week ban. What about going on offense, folks? The former Democratic governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, is a doctor. And he said, we wait till the baby comes out and then we decide what to do. Hello? That seems pretty extreme to me. You're not even talking about a weak ban. You're talking about killing a life. He said it. It's on tape. This isn't conjecture or hyperbole. He said it. Play the tape. Make every one of those people defend that. Why are we the ones? What's going on? Which weak band do you want? I'm glad you're standing up for life, but put the Democrats on defense, for goodness sake. Unbelievable. I, I just, you, these guys have got to learn to fight and be on offense and not on defense. Sosnick also goes through a couple other things that I want to make sure that I, I, I draw your attention to, because I do think, that it's important to make sure that we understand uh, how things are changing. It used to all be about the big donors. Number eight on his memo is online small donors, not the fat cat bundlers are the real test of strength. And that's true. Watching the grassroots come in, the people who are gonna give you the money month over month, not max out, they can keep supporting you. They're gonna put up their signs. They're gonna make your phone calls. That's critical. Um, and then number nine on here is he says, there's no longer a true election day in America. Yes, 
And we've been talking about this. The RNC started this bank your vote thing. We lost the battle. I hate to say it. I can't believe this. I love election day. I love walking in, casting my ballot in person, knowing that it's real. And now we've got like election season that starts usually in September in a lot of states. In Virginia, for this upcoming, we're, we're an off year. Folks, we have elections. New Jersey has elections. Kentucky has elections. Um, they're already talking about, you know, September 17th or whatever it is in Virginia, you can go vote. I'm like, there hasn't even been debates. And like, we still have a lot to go in the season and things to break at the end. And yet we're allowing people to vote whenever they want. And there's a reason that we set an election day. Now, can you vote absentee? Yes, and you always have been able to. If you're sick, if you're on military service, if you've got some sort of job thing, you've always been able to vote absentee in every single state in the union and territory. It was a myth, it was a lie, it was misinformation what was pushed by the Democrats. We allowed to do it. So that's what's happening. Uh, and I wanted you to be aware of this because this is what's happening right now. The Democrats are spelling it out as well. We need to make sure that we understand it equally as well, um, because this is what's going on. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to uh, give you a quick introduction to the man that we're about to talk to. Jim Banks uh, was elected to Indiana's third congressional district in 2017. And since he got elected, the guy's been a real fighter. He headed the Republican Study Committee, the RSC. He has put forward budgets that get to balance. He's been a champion of conservative policies a strong friend of President Trump, and he took the opportunity to run for the United States Senate earlier this year, and um, he is just killing it in Indiana. Uh, and there's, I know no politician ever wants to hear this because they always want to continue to raise money, And but Jim Banks will be the next senator from Indiana. Uh, he has been a great champion of conservative causes, as I've said. He's a Navy veteran, so he under and he serves on the House Armed Services. He gets what's going on in our military, the woke culture, um, all the things that are happening there, and he understands what needs to happen going forward. Um, so I want to bring in Congressman Jim Banks. Congressman, it's good to see you. I hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. Although I know uh, when you're campaigning for the Senate, the Labor Day weekend usually entails a lot of parades and barbecues. So I hope you got some downtime with your family at least. Thank you, Sean. Good to be with you. Um, listen, last week, uh, we had this incident with Mitch McConnell, um, where he paused. You happened to be with him later that day in a fundraiser. Talk to me about your firsthand impressions about where he is meant, or, or, or medically. Like, is he okay? Uh, is he fit to serve? Well, Sean, I, I saw uh, Senator McConnell later that day. He stopped by a fundraiser that I was holding in Louisville right over the river from uh, Southern Indiana. And we had a wide ranging conversation before the event. He engaged with the nearly 60 people who were at the event at a home, at a private home. Uh, he, he seemed to be in good spirits. And um, you know, we, we discussed a lot of issues, the future of our country, the future of our party. I'm running for the United States Senate to be a part of the next 
generation of Republican leadership for our country. And we talked about that and what lies ahead in the United States Senate. So uh, where, where he, uh, what, what happens from here? I mean, I, it is my, my, uh, I, I can only guess like you um, about uh, his future. But as far as that evening, um, he was he was doing very well. So, you know, you talk about this next generation of leadership and you've been a hard charger in the House of Representatives. You led the Republican Study Committee. You've been a champion for fiscal discipline. You fought against um, China and, and its uprising. You are a member of the House Armed Services. I mean, like you get the next generation. Do you think it's time for a new generation of leadership in, in the Senate when you when you get elected? And I say that hopefully uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm on the team. <laughs> yeah, well, it, and it's going very well in Indiana. This is what Hoosiers are looking for. They're looking for fighters to go to the United right. States Senate to shake it up. And uh, many of my frustrations in my seven years in the House have, of course, been with Democrats, but have also been when I look over at the United States Senate and I don't see uh, Republicans in the Senate fighting back against the radical left uh, like we have been uh, doing, uh, I think, very effectively in the House over the last uh, few years. So um, undoubtedly, that uh, change of leadership is going to happen uh, in the next couple of years. And I see guys like uh, Senator Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and a lot of guys in the United States Senate that I'm looking forward to going over there and fighting alongside to move our country forward. So it is you do sense that this is a changing of the guard moment uh, in the United States Senate and our country and our, and our party desperately needs that. I look forward to being a part of it. So you mentioned those folks, the, the Josh Hollies. I, I had Ron Johnson on the show last week. Um, you saw Rick Scott challenge Mitch McConnell. If there was a vacancy or if somebody wanted to challenge him, who do you look to right now as a House member and say, this is somebody that I might want to emulate or that I'd want as a leader of the Republican conference? Well, I, there, there are so many of them, and I, I enjoy the, the backing of a lot of uh, the young conservatives in the Senate. But uh, I put I put Tom Cotton on a pedestal. I mean, he's he's been a fighter for a number of years for, uh, on, on a lot of causes to move our country forward on national security, on fighting back against a rising China that wants to dominate America on immigration and America first policies uh, to secure our borders. So uh, the, the, Tom Cotton is the uh, is someone who I hope to emulate when I get to the United States Senate. And he was the first, by the way, the first Republican senator to back me when I kicked my campaign off in, in uh, mid mid January several months ago. So but at the end of the day, Sean, it's, it's clear to me that uh, there are a lot of young conservatives running in states around the country, Montana, um, uh, Ohio, other states where where we have to win to win back the Republican majority, put Republicans back uh, in the driver's seat uh, to save our country. And it's going to be a new crop, I believe, of young fighters, young conservatives who are going to be leading the way in the House and the Senate when we win back the White House in 2024 to save America. You know, I, I had this conversation with Ron Johnson. I, I ran my first campaign in, in 1994. So I don't try to per, try to purport to be some kind of naive political person. But what I think is interesting to me, I was watching the Sunday shows over the weekend and Mike Rounds, uh, former governor, now senator from from uh, South Dakota, was talking about how the Senate has gotten their bills, their appropriations bills done and they're ready to go. I, I don't feel like there's any real sense in the Republican Party, though, about fiscal discipline anymore. I mean, I appreciate the fact that regular order is back in in vogue and the idea of passing it from the committees. To, but but I look at what's going on in Washington 
all the COVID funds that were misappropriated and misspent. I, I feel like the party has lost a sense of fiscal discipline. Is that something that that you share and would champion over in the Senate? Yeah, uh, w- without a doubt. I mean, you saw the the statistics come out over the or, or the new the new reports come over out over the last week that uh, the national debt uh, and the, and deficit spending over this year is has has doubled. Um, right now, a thirty two trillion dollar national debt that will be uh, uh, closer to fifty uh, trillion by the end of the decade. So uh, we have a we have a crisis. Uh, this is a moment of of, of crisis. And, and Sean, like you, I, I believe that there's bipartisan blame for it. But the last couple of years under under Joe Biden have accelerated a deficit spending and, and the national debt in a way that we have never seen before. So it's going to take bold leadership from Republicans to, to fight back and quit going along to get along uh, when it comes to spending and, and appropriations bills like what we're going through right now to avoid a government shutdown at the end of the at the end of September with the new fiscal year. So we had the debt limit fight um, a few months ago. Now we have the appropriations and spending uh, bills that we're going to be debating over the next few weeks. And this is this is the opportunity for House Republicans, especially to lead the way we have. We, ha- we only have a five seat majority, but we have a majority and we have to use the leverage of that majority to rein in wasteful spending and force the president and Democrats to come to the table to negotiate uh, uh, something that com- that brings uh, spending back into line with what this country can can uh, can uh, can afford. So there, uh, I, I'm not I'm not uh, naive enough to believe that with Joe Biden in the White House and Chuck Schumer leading the Senate that we can balance the budget. But the House Republicans have an opportunity to send us down a path to begin to do that. And I, it's my hope that with Speaker McCarthy, that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. So, so that that kind of leads me into that. You, you returned to Washington this week. Um, you guys have to fund all of these various appropriations bills so the government shuts down on October 1. What, what do you see as the path forward, right? I, I think you brought up correct. The debt ceiling happened. There was this sense of, okay, let's take care of it, but let's make sure that we focus on the real fight, the real fight being these appropriations bills that you just mentioned. So what is the path forward? Is it, you, you saw one of your colleagues, Chip Roy from Texas says, I don't care if we shut down. I mean, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, I don't really care if we shut down the government if, as long as we get, we've got, you know, today is September 5th. Um, so we've got 25-ish days to get this done. What What is the solution? Is it hold bills hostage? Is it make sure that we have additional cuts? Like, uh, w- what does that look like in the next 25 days to get, uh, or, or is it, hey, who cares? We go to 25 and then we shut the thing down. Well, I'll always remember that an, an omnibus spending bill or a CR, though, those are breakdowns in the process. So uh, already you hear Republicans and Democrat leaders talking about a short-term CR that would continue Biden-level spending, uh, maybe for a month, maybe for two months. Uh, so far, it's not clear how long that would last. So th- this is where, again, where I, you know, to uh, Chip Chip Roy on the right talking about um, using the leverage that we have to, I mean, to to hold back and not. Not uh, not pass a CR, not go along with Biden spending levels that would shut the government down. I I, I don't think that's nece- I don't think it's necessary to shut the government down either. We should do everything we can to avoid a government shutdown. But it takes Joe Biden, the president, and Chuck Schumer, the Democrat leader of the Senate, to come to the table and negotiate with Republicans. And so far, they've been fully unwilling to do that with the ho- the new House Republican majority. So that that's uh, that that's what's necessary at this point. House. Republicans have 
as you as you pointed out. And, and House Republicans are not in session this week. The Senate is. So House Republicans come back next week and have three three weeks to pass 12 appropriations bills through regular order, uh, an open process where every member can go down and offer amendments on the floor. So uh, we, we have a very short period of time to do that. And I think that's why even even Speaker McCarthy has hinted that a, C, a short-term CR is a very likely possibility. But even if we pass a short-term CR, that gives us a, a short period of time to go back and, and make the necessary cuts to go back to pre-COVID uh, spending levels to try to right the ship and send us down a path to balance the budget over the next 10 years. By the way, Republican Study Committee, that, which at the caucus that I led, every year we put out a, a, a budget that sends us down a path to balance and uh, begin the process of paying down the national debt in less than uh, 10 years. There are simple ways that we can do that if um, if leadership on both sides would point back to the important work of the Republican Study Committee. We, we provide a framework to get it done. Doesn't I, I just think that, and again, I don't mean to act like I'm naive about this, but it just seems to me as though you know, you've been out there fighting this fight. You put a budget together and it says, here's how we can do it responsibly. What What is wrong? I, I don't get what's wrong. At some point, you know, you talked about the, the deficits now doubled in a year. We're talking towards 50 trillion in debt by the end of the decade. Where's the breakdown? When Jim Banks goes to these other members, especially on the Republican side and says, hey guys, here's how we can do this responsibly. Here's some cuts. Here's how we slow the rate of growth. Because remember, Washington doesn't cut things. It just slows the rate of growth. What is the response? I mean, I just don't get that. Like, how, do they look at you and say, sorry, Jim, uh, I, I got I, I to gotta tell my constituents that I grew the government or education. But why can't Republicans at least get on board with this? Yeah, well, well first of all, I, I, don't, I don't think Speaker McCarthy is going to uh, allow that to happen this time. That's what makes him a different type of speaker than we've had at least in a generation, uh, who's willing to fight back and do something about it. The, de- the debt limit fight happened and uh, in many ways was disappointing. But the, in the debt limit fight, perhaps the one, maybe one good thing that came out of it is if, if, if the 12 appropriation bills don't pass and we go to CRs and, and back to omnibus spending levels and you have automatic across the board 1%, 1% spending cuts of all of the packages. So um, that you have that on that um, front, but Speaker McCarthy is adamant about using the majority to, uh, especially as we head into the 2024 election cycle, to try to do something about it. But Sean, as we talked about a, a few minutes ago, there are way too many go along to get along Republicans, many of them in the Senate. You still have some of the old school Republicans in the House, a few of them who are leaders on the Appropriations uh, Committee, by the way, who just aren't willing to go there. They, they want to work with Democrats to continue to spend more and send us down this path. It takes fighters uh, like uh, conservatives, um, like those who have been mentioned, myself and others, to fight back and say, we're not going to go along to get along. We're not going to sustain Biden level spending uh, levels that, like we have in the past that continue to send us down, down this path and over a cliff that will ruin my daughter's uh, American dream and their future in this country if we don't do something about it. So this is the crisis moment. And the only ones who are going to do anything about it are the Republicans. And, and, and you and I agree that in the past, Republicans have failed at this, but we need Republicans who are fighting back against wasteful spending to do something about it. This is our opportunity to do it over the next three to four weeks when it comes to these appropriation spending packages 
And I, I, I intend to be on the front lines to make sure that that happens. You know, you're running for, for Senate out there in Indiana. You've represented the House. And before that, you were in the, in the state legislature. I was in Iowa a couple of weeks ago at the state fair and had a really interesting conversation with the governor, Kim Reynolds, about where the, the folks in the Midwest are. And in Iowa, it seems as though the Democrats have just thrown their hands up and said, we'll give you guys Iowa. We're not going to come to the state fair. We're going to move our caucus. Um, we've kind of ceded Iowa. I think of Indiana, and I don't know, you obviously know better than I do, but but it was, what, 10 years ago that you had Evan Bayh and some Democrats, and, and it seems like it's trending the same way. Is this a state phenomenon? Is this Indiana in a bubble? Is this Iowa in a bubble? Um, obviously, Wisconsin has been competitive. Or is this a trend where the Democrats have ceded the Midwest? I think it's a trend, Sean. I mean, the, the Senate seat that I'm running for, by the way, was held by a Democrat just six years ago. So now fast forward to this point, and it doesn't appear the Democrats are even competing in states like Indiana. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, when I when I kicked off my campaign in mid-January, I thought my Democrat, my likely Democrat opponent would be Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Um, you know, we he and I share something in common with you. We both served in the Navy Reserves. We both went to Afghanistan at the same time. Uh, he joined the Biden administration. He put his best friend in charge of the Indiana Democrat Party to build it back up so he could come home and run for governor or Senate um, at this point. And what did he just do six months ago? He just moved to he and his he and his husband just moved to Michigan. They are now full time residents of Michigan. He completely deserted the state of Indiana, which gave him the opportunity to be, to be mayor of South I'm Bend sure that and, upsets and, you. I'm sure that upsets you tremendously. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be afraid to run against him right. uh, to begin with. But it, it, case in point, uh, Democrats know they can't win in states like Iowa and Indiana because they've completely abandoned working class rural America. And 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 the and those those people who are feeling the effects of the Biden economy and the the uh, the disastrous uh, Biden administration are people who come from places like where I come from, the fentanyl epidemic, the wide open border that's flooding fentanyl into this country and in places like uh, rural Indiana, the leading cause of death of Americans, my age, of working age, of military eligible age. The, the, what the Democrats have done is sell our country out and our manufacturing jobs to China. Um, they're, they're fully responsible for it. At this point, Donald Trump made uh, the Republican Party the party of the working class again for the first time since Ronald Reagan was president. And Democrats are the ones who are selling us out to multinational corporations and their interest and in sending our jobs uh, to China. So you see the the, the uh, violent crime from the BLM riots and and the violence that came out of that. It, it hit hardest in states like Wisconsin and Minnesota and Michigan in Midwestern states where they saw the brunt of that and Democrats not doing anything about it. So I, I do think this is a trend and it's a trend that aligns with the with uh, the new Republican Party that's that better represents working class rural Americans better than at any point in my lifetime. And, and states like Indiana, even Ohio, Ohio yeah. is now a a hard red a barn red state. We're going to win back the Senate seat in Ohio It's going to be one of the one of the seats that we need to win back the Senate majority, and it's because of this trend as well. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. Um, you, you mentioned China and your service in the in the military. There was a report over the weekend that came out that 100 Chinese nationals 
have tried to enter military installations in the U.S. just posing as tourists. Um, They have gotten more and more brazen. They hacked the Secretary of Commerce's website, uh, I mean, email. Uh, They're showing up at our military bases. I I get the thing that I find funny about this. Actually, I don't find it funny. I, I find it sad. Is that the brazenness knows no limits. And yet we can't even ban TikTok. I don't get what's going on on Capitol Hill on a bipartisan basis, but on the Republican side, Where's the outrage? We go through COVID, we come out and we've, we're still buying more and more from them. I, everyone keeps acting like somehow they're, they're like a long lost cousin that we just need to bring home as opposed to an enemy. Yeah, uh, uh, the Congress should take a, a note out of Indiana's playbook. Our state legislature in Indiana last year passed a law to uh, uh, ban uh, the Chinese from buying land around military bases and crack down on uh, the Chinese buying farmland, other measures. Those are things that the Congress should do. And states like Indiana have been leading the way in doing that at the state level. It's why we started the Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, led by my colleague Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin. It's a bipartisan committee. We're, we're looking into these issues, but really I think is a, a centerpiece, a legacy opportunity for this House Republican majority, putting a focus where there wasn't one before. I mean, I look at, you talk about Raimondo, uh, the Secretary of Commerce, um, her her emails were hacked, and instead of being outraged and doing something about it, what does she do? She goes to China and meets with with the same people who just hacked her email, and she says she complained but about she it. But she said she complained. <laughs> I mean, just a, uh, she looks completely weak. Uh, but it's really it's symbolic of the entire Biden administration. They play they continue to play footsie with our biggest enemy. We had the toughest president we ever had on China and Trump. We have the weakest. And Joe Biden and his administration who continues to sell us out after China stole our jobs. They steal our intellectual property. They steal our military secrets. They gave us COVID. And now they're the, the, the chief manufacturer of fentanyl, the leading cause of death of Americans of working age in this country. And they're flooding our country for it. And we have an administration that completely turns a blind eye, plays footsie with them, rewards them for their bad activity by sending our leaders over there to meet with them instead of cracking down on them and, and sanctioning them instead. So Republicans in the House have a we have a game plan. We have a we have a committee that's wholly uh, dedicated to looking at what we can do to hold them accountable and put America back on its feet and in charge uh, uh, instead of letting uh, China dominate us in the in the short and near term like they're bound to do if Joe Biden remains in charge. So you talk about how bad Joe Biden is doing, uh, and it is ironic, especially on the fentanyl stuff. He's they're apparently going to attack Republicans. They don't fund the government for the effect it would have on fentanyl, fentanyl that comes in the country through the open border. There's a lot of calls when the House does return to impeach Joe Biden. Kevin McCarthy keeps talking about this inquiry. Where do you come down on what the tactic should be? Should we? Should there be a full-on inquiry? Should the House vote on an inquiry? Uh, I, I mean, I've laid this out politically. If they, if you don't have a guy like Don Bacon and a couple of these other folks, and you have a vote and it fails, that that's that doesn't look good. So I think there's a yeah, political I, I, consequence. Yeah, Sean, I don't I don't know that the votes are there at this point. Um, I wish they were because I'm 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 ready to vote uh, for impeachment. Of what the would you want? What? So let me ask you this: What the the, the Constitution says? Uh, bribery, treason, high crimes, and misdemeanor. What do you think that Joe Biden? When you get asked about this in Indiana, what has Joe Biden done to merit impeachment? Well, he, he's he's uh, completely uh, sold himself out to our biggest enemies. 
over a, a really a, a, a decades of, of public service. So, and that's just a, that's a fact. I mean, Hoosiers know it. They've they've seen it. They they get it. Uh, what this what Biden what President Biden and his family have done to sell themselves out access selling access to Joe Biden as senator as vice president. Um, uh, and and I, I, this is why the impeachment inquiry is important to look at some of these some of those financial entanglements while he was vice president. Hunter Biden taking millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party, from corrupt Russian oligarchs tied to the Russian government and elsewhere, and what those entanglements led to in decision making on behalf of this president uh, while he's been uh, in the in the highest office. So, not to mention uh, the corrupt abuses of. The FBI and the and the uh, uh, the Department of Justice and how he's uh, how they've manipulated uh, the investigations and and prosecution of Joe of Hunter Biden and and the Biden family as well. I I believe the evidence is there. I think to your point though, I'm not sure that the votes are there yet, which is why the impeachment inquiry and that process has to begin to shed light on this process. But theoretically, if we voted to impeach. Joe Biden. I, I know that the Senate is probably not going to remove him from right. office, but I think it's very important for that transparency to occur, for that trial in the Senate to occur so the American people can see the facts that they were deprived of in the 2020 election when big tech and big media censored the Hunter Biden laptop story, which I believe very well would have changed the outcome of the 2020 election in a big way. I mean, the, the, the polling shows it. Um, all of that evidence was withheld from the American people and diminished when now we know it was all true. Have the tr- force that trial to occur in the in the United States Senate so that the American people can see the facts in the most transparent way possible that the media has has gone above and beyond a shield uh, from the public's view. So that's why I think that impeachment is important. It's also important, Sean, I'll, I'll end with this. Um, it's important to tell future presidents that you can never get away with what this president has gotten away with without without strong uh, repercussions. So that's why I think it's important to move forward with the process, yeah. too. Before I let you go, you've got a big race on your hands, obviously doing very well there in Indiana. But, Congressman, wh- where do you see the, the race for president on the Republican side going? We're heading into the second debate. Donald Trump, by the Wall Street Journal poll this weekend, up close to, you know, well over 50 percent. Uh, you've got a fellow Hoosier, Mike Pence, uh, still running. Where do you see this thing shaking out? Well, Sean, I, I, I've, I've endorsed President Trump. I believe he's the best chance that we've got to beat Joe Biden in 2024. I mean, the polling, all of the polls that I've seen in the last couple of weeks show that he, he, um, that he beats Joe Biden and he's way ahead in the Republican primary. I mean, I think at this point, late, this late in the game, it's time for Republicans to rally around the best chance that we've got. And I, I believe that's Donald Trump to win in 2024, to win back the White House and save this country. So I'm very proud, by the way, to have President Trump's endorsement in my campaign for the United States Senate. And I'm leading the way in Indiana to do everything I can to make sure that he wins big in my home state. And I'm going to do everything that I can to help him win back uh, the White House in 2024, too. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, changing that title from congressman to senator. Jim Banks, stay uh, stay safe on the campaign trail, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Jim Banks. As I said, I know that people who are running for office never want to say it, but he will be the next senator from Indiana. Um, it's because he's done a great job. That's the thing. He in that he could have faced a tough primary um, from Mitch Daniels, former governor there. There are some others that were thinking about running, but because of how he's conducted himself as a member of Congress, and the leadership he's shown, the support to President Trump, I don't think anyone's going to challenge him. 
And so far, so good. And then you heard him mention the idea that Buttigieg, not only is not going to challenge him, but he moved to Michigan, which I actually find interesting. I have a feeling this is because I've always said this. I think Buttigieg, he's already thinking 2028, Michigan is going to be a swing state. He wants to say that he lives in Michigan, try to make it better. That's that's always been my case here. Um, I, You know, the funny thing is when you do these interviews with people, the second that you finish them, and this happens all the time. I used to get this at Spicer and Company. Why didn't you ask them this? And it's true. There are days where I think to myself, I have all these ideas that I want to talk to somebody about. Then I finished and I was thinking to myself, the story that, that had come out this weekend about Tommy Tuberville and the service chiefs are all freaking out because of these holds that are on a lot of these flag officers. One of the things that I wanted to, to get to is this idea that, uh, and this is off topic, but I wanted to get to Banks about it because he serves on the Armed Services Committee. He's going to go into the Senate. What would he say to Tuberville? The one dirty secret that the media is not telling you is that these military nominations, the Senate can still deal with them. Chuck Schumer could bring them up one by one by one. He just chooses not to. The media doesn't want to tell you that because they don't like what Tuberville's doing. Uh, and I would have loved to have got his perspective. So that's just one. I mean, there are several other questions that I, you know, you, you only have so much time with somebody. But I, for all those who are watching, I, I appreciate your feedback. I love it on YouTube. During the weekends, I try to read as, as much of it as I can. And even at night sometimes. Um, so if you do have ideas, just know that I don't, sometimes I just don't have time, sometimes I forget, and I appreciate your feedback on this. Um, tomorrow, we're going to have a conversation that I, I think you won't see anywhere else, and I almost guarantee it. We're going to have former President Trump's former domestic policy advisor on to talk to us about what's going on with the Biden administration sort of dealing, uh, trying to make deals on all these drugs in Medicare. Uh, they're negotiating for the first time ever on the prices. Republicans are saying this is going to kill innovation. Uh, and really hinder tech, uh, sort of the, the, the future of, of pharmaceuticals. Joe Grogan knows better than anybody else. He serves President Trump's domestic policy. He helped President Trump on a lot of fronts on this way. And, and we're going to have this conversation about what this really means for the industry, for what you put into your pocket, for access to drugs. Uh, and like I said, you are not going to see this conversation anywhere else. I can guarantee it because... It's not what anyone wants to talk about because they want to sell you on this idea that Biden's doing this great thing. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Republicans are bad, but Grogan knows better than anybody how it breaks down. So uh, this is why we're here. We brought we continue to bring these amazing conversations, the 14th Amendment. There are things that no one else will talk about that we will. I always appreciate your feedback. Please continue to subscribe, support the show. Thanks to all the sponsors that are here. Uh, and again, if you can take a moment, go to all of those platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Rumble, Spotify. I don't really care, but I appreciate your support and I look forward to seeing you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.